I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him, who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him, who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Do not love the world or the things of the world. Are you serious, John? Like, what are you talking about here? That sounds, sounds a little difficult, don't you think? I mean, you're saying, okay, what, what on earth does that mean? He tells me that I can't love the world. There's, there's a whole lot of things around here that I love, right? I mean, maybe you're saying like, well, I love steak. I love pizza. I love pop. I love beer. I love uh, whatever. You name it. Now I'm just going to have to eat water and beets or what? Like, what does it mean to not love the world? This sounds, sounds really difficult. I mean, does it mean that I've got to, like, cancel that big Caribbean vacation and now we're going to Iowa instead, you know? We're going to love it. Well, not love it. We can't love it because it's the world. Can't love it. Got to hate it. Do not love the world or anything in the world. It's an interesting challenge, and, and, and fear not. You can still eat your favorite foods. You can still vacation to places other than Iowa. No offense to all you Hawkeyes out there. I know this has been tough already. But, you know, there's, there's options, right? God created the world, right? Those things I listed, they're all things that God created. And so John is talking about something a little bit different than what we might just assume uh, we'd hear when we first read those. In, in John's day, there was a bit of a, a heresy, a false belief going on that actually said that the physical world was evil. Like human body, everything physical is evil and everything spiritual is good and divine. And this was a big time issue. You might say, well, okay, what's the big deal? Well, it's a big issue because there was Jesus Christ, right, son of God, who came down from heaven in a physical body. 100% human and 100% God. So if the body is evil, well, what happened there? Then they would have said that there was Jesus and there was Christ, two entities, right? So you'd see Jesus, and Christ is kind of like when he's on the cross. Christ is hovering over the man, Jesus, who dies. Not true, okay? Not true, because God himself died for our sins. Like, that was God in human form right there, 100% God, 100% human. So John is, in this book, he's addressing some of these challenges that they had, some of this false belief. In fact, a lot of scholars believe, actually, that the churches John was writing to, some of them had even split over some of these issues. So they were looking around, and they were missing some of their friends who had left because of some of these beliefs, okay? That was 
what they were teaching falsely was called a, a cosmic dualism, that there's two worlds, the, the evil and the good, right? John's not talking about that. No, he's talking about a moral dualism, as in there is right and there is wrong. There is good and there is evil. And he's using the world to refer to that which is evil, okay? So it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that John is condemning everything that is not like seemingly divine, right? He's not condemning everything that is not like a, a pipe organ or a cherub choir, right? Like he's, he's more open than that. He's condemning evil directly. That's exactly what he's doing. So let's get real practical here, okay? How do you know when you're loving the world in your own life? How might you know? We'll just give you a few things. This is kind of like a filter, right, uh, that you could run these decisions through. The first one is, is it sin, okay? This is pretty straightforward. The Bible tells us what's right, what's wrong, and, and this is God's word. It's not like we just take popular vote on it and say, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think this thing's going to be okay after all. Like, no, it's God's word. This is where we get it from. So if it's sin, clearly this is loving the world, right? So that's the most straightforward one. Second, is it a big distraction of my time or other resources from the things of God? Now, there are natural, there are natural distractions that we need to have. You know, for example, you, if unless you're retired or independently wealthy, you probably need to have a job or somebody in your family needs to have a job, right? And that can be a, well, distraction of sorts, but it's all in how you look at it. If you look at your work as a way of worshiping God, which it is, then, you know, it's not a bad thing at all. It can even draw you closer to God. And that's number three. Does it draw me closer to God? If it doesn't, well, we probably ought to evaluate. The Westminster Confession, old confession, or catechism, excuse me, says this. It says that our chief end or purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This has been something that's been foundational for Christians for generation after generation after generation. It's why we're here. Does it draw me closer to God? I mean, we think about it. If you say, well, I want to go to heaven someday, but here on earth, I'm not really all that interested in those things that are like things of God. It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? I mean, because you're going to be spending eternity with God. So if you're disinterested in all the things of God here, what are you planning on? You know, is your understanding of heaven just like some like earth plus 10 kind of thing, you know, like, I'll have all my favorite things on earth, they'll just be a whole lot better, you know, it'll be like, it'll be an endless golf course, you know, and never have to wait for anybody, and it'll be like uh, the best buffet ever, and calories don't count, and it'll be all this, like, we all have those things that we'd love to see there, hopefully some of them are there for you, but heaven is a lot more than that kind of thing. It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God in a way that we've never experienced it before because we live in a fallen and broken world. And and we're going to experience the presence of God as God intended it. And I could talk all day about it, but I couldn't describe it adequately. It's going to be incredible. So does it draw you closer to God here? Number four, what do I sense the Spirit saying? 
We believe strongly that, that when we give our lives to Jesus, we're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, just like we just prayed for Macy after her baptism, right, that the Holy Spirit would fill her. We believe that as followers of Jesus, that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that God speaks to us, that God leads us and guides us. We, we believe that to be real. We might sense that as we read Scripture or as we pray or in worship or as we talk with our life group or band or others, we can sense what the Spirit is saying. What do I sense the Spirit is saying? You know, one thing the Bible says, it says, whatever is not of faith is sin. And God may say to you, you know, there's just certain things that may be okay for others, but I want you to steer clear of for forever or for now, maybe, for a season. For example, I have a friend he, who's uh, decided not to listen to secular music, right? That's, it's not a conviction that I share, but I respect it. Because, you know, for this person, it's a, it's a key thing in drawing closer to God. If God says something like that to you, do it. Trust him. He's got something for you there. He wants to bless you. So, so what do you sense the Spirit is saying? Fifth, if it's of the world, I probably need to, or I try to hide like part or all of it. You know what I mean? Like, well, you know, I, how many glasses of wine did I drink? I think it was probably one, maybe three or four. I, I don't know, maybe six. I, I'm not sure exactly, but what, what's the big deal really, right? Like when we start kind of like trying to hide parts of it, it's a bad sign. You know what I mean? Like at our house, we have a puppy. The puppy's always causing problems. And you always know when the puppy's causing problems because, like, you know, the ears will go down and try to kind of run, you know, when they know they're busted, right? Are you doing that in your life? Like, is there something here where when it comes to accountability people or other Christians, you're just kind of like, eh, I don't know. Let's, let's not talk about it. Let's move on. And finally, do I have to spend a lot of time justifying it? Am I making all sorts of excuses? Because this is one of the biggest red flags of all, right? Like, you know, maybe you're like, hey, there's no problem with me spending 20 hours a weekend on social media. You know, I, I can pray for these people, right? You know, like, I pray that Laura would quit bragging about her stupid new car and that Ron would learn how to shoot a selfie. It's not like this, man. That's your nose hairs. We don't want to see that. Like, oh, wait, I was praying, right? Praying. That's, that's what I was doing. If we've got to spend time justifying it, that's not a good sign. Not a good sign. Okay, so these are just a few uh, things that could be a filter. Not exclusive, but to help us, how do we live the way God wants us to live instead of the way that the world's calling us to do? Don't love the world. See, when you're part of the family of God, you've been adopted in as you've given your life to Jesus, you naturally want to love the world less and to love God more. It becomes a natural part of your life. It's, it's part of the process of growth. So please don't feel bad if you're like, ah, I've got a long ways to go. Like, hey, we're all on a journey here, okay? The key is, are you taking that next step forward in faith? In fact, just a few verses earlier, like it was read there on the screen, or on the video, John was talking about how there's differing levels of maturity in the family of God, and, and that's normal, right? I mean, if you're part of a uh, nuclear family here, uh, you know that. There's differing levels of maturity in your family, amen? No, no, you all are on the same page, maturity, right? Clearly, it's just my family, right? Why not look at, if you've got a family member here or a neighbor, why not look at them and say, repeat after me, I'm so thankful that God has blessed our family with someone as mature and humble 
as me. There you go. You know you wanted to say it anyway, right? Let's just get it out there. I mean, the rest of the family, they're just trying to keep up with you, right? I mean, maybe someday they'll be like you, but, you know. Now you see why Pastor Jonathan does all the marriage counseling around here, right? A couple sessions with me, you'll be all messed up, I promise, right? Regardless, maybe you have kids in your family, right? You give a broom to a three-year-old, <laughs> what do you expect is going to happen, right? I mean, it's just going to become a toy, right? They're not going to clean anything. You give it to an eight-year-old, they're probably going to try really, really hard, but I don't know how clean your floor is going to be. They give it to a 16-year-old, well, maybe. <laughs> we can hope, right? Depends on the kid, right? Right? But if you give it to your husband, I don't know. We'll see, right? Depends on your husband, you know? But it's, things vary based on our maturity levels, right? It's part of growing in the family. As followers of Jesus, we live in the world, but we don't love it. We're called to this ongoing process of growth. How are you doing with that? Like, if you look back a year, where would you put yourself in that? You know, just saying spiritually, I'm now here. Was I a little farther back, or have I maybe regressed, or is it just kind of, eh, just kind of level? I'm not really going very far. Because, see, as we grow in maturity, our behaviors should change. Think of it like this. Think of it like maybe if you've been in a, a dating relationship before. You, you know, first, you've got somebody, maybe they're just a friend of yours. And, you know, the two of you know each other. You talk every now and then. But either one of you could go on a date with somebody else. It wouldn't even matter because you're not in any kind of exclusive relationship. But then, you know, something clicks, uh, whatever it is. And you maybe you go out on a date with this person or you just, for whatever reason, you're connecting more closely with them. And now you start to notice them a whole lot more, right? And, and so there's, there's a more intense focus in your life that you care more about what they say and do. And you find yourself like dressing up when you know they're going to be there and getting a little bit excited about it or something like that. And then maybe you start dating and you, you decide that we're going to date each other. We're not going to date anybody else anymore, right? This is what we're going to do. And, and so your friends, they notice they're not seeing you quite as much as you used to because you're kind of leaving them a bit and growing more and more in love with this other person. And eventually that gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And people get used to just seeing the two of you together. And it's just a normal and natural kind of thing, right? And eventually you're, you're so close that like your cat's getting tired of seeing this person, right? You know, and your friends are like, hey, why don't you call me or text me anymore? What's going on? Because you have shifted a lot of your affections in a certain direction. You're in love. You're in love. And it's a bit like this in our relationship with God. Not that we exclude others. I don't mean that. But as we fall more and more in love with God, it's a natural thing that we grow in maturity. Okay? We grow to be more and more like God. And so thus, the things of the world are less important. They're less of a priority for me than they used to be because I'm so in love with God. It's, it's what you do when you're part of God's family. In fact, we, we have a class called Growth Track. Our new members took this class, and it gives uh, four different stages of, of spiritual maturity, uh, exploring Christ, growing in Christ, close to Christ, and Christ-centered. Maybe you look at yourself and might say, well, where, 
where would you find yourself on that journey? Where would you put yourself a year ago? Shameless plug, we'll do growth track again here pretty soon. Maybe you want to take that and, and say, God, I want to grow closer to you. I want to be more and more like you, Jesus. I want to grow less in love with the world and more in love with you. So if you were listening to the video earlier, shift gears a little bit, you heard a word uh, that might have perked your attention up a little bit. It's a word that gets some attention in some, certain Christian circles today. Uh, it's the word antichrist. He says, dear children, this is the last hour, and you have heard that the antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going out showed that no one, or sorry, none of them belonged to us. So you've heard that the Antichrist is coming and many Antichrists have come. What, what are we talking about here, John? Are you going to like, is this the time where you're going to like bust out the chart, right, and explain to me like all the different prophecies and where we are exactly in this? And, and what's the mark of the beast going to be? Is it the COVID vaccine? By the way, no. The answer is no to that question. Just want to make that real clear. Uh, or more, is also importantly, uh, will there be zombies at Armageddon? Like, I need to know these things. Tell me now, right? No. That's not what John's talking about here, okay? Antichrist is a term in the Bible to refer to those who are either opposing Christ or attempting to take the place of Christ. He's talking about this split that they had. Like he said, some have already gone out from us. Some have already left over this. And John is not pulling any punches here, right? You know, they didn't split over the color of the church carpet in those days, okay? We're talking about fundamental, foundational issues uh, that they were dealing with. These are folks who were teaching false things that were splitting the church. They were making kind of a, a false version of it, these uh, factions that were splitting off. And John was called in as the elder to address these kind of things, okay? Have you noticed that in the world, whenever something gets successful, that it gets imitated? You know what I mean? Like, there's fake versions of all sorts of stuff out there, right? Maybe, ladies, if you're into handbags, right? There's fake handbags, right? The designer one that costs way too much money, and then the one you can buy for like 20 bucks on the street corner in New York City, right? There's that. Or fake Rolexes, or fake Oakleys, or fake whatever it is you like. There's knockoffs that get made. And that's what John is addressing here. There's these folks that they're, they're trying to, to preach a, a knockoff version of Christianity. So they brought in John, the elder, the expert, to, to address these. And that's why he's writing them. That's why he's writing them, to point them back to the church, truth, to point them back to the truth. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because it's no lie, because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. You see, when you give your life to Jesus, you're part of the family, and there are things that are foundational that establish what this family is. It's the, the vows we just did with our members, right? That these are fundamental things, that these are who we are. There's all sorts of things we're going to disagree upon. And that's okay. You can disagree with me on all sorts of things. 
But there's some things here that it's not from me. This is foundational aspects of our faith. These are, these are hard lines. Think of it this way. Here in Anderson Township, if, if you want to go downtown, there's a number of routes you can take, but one of them will actually take you into Kentucky, right? You take the interstate. If traffic's bad, you go to take the interstate. You enter Kentucky. Then you cross back into Ohio. So in a pretty short amount of time, you cross state lines twice, and you barely even know it if you're not paying attention, right? I mean, when you cross the river, do you suddenly, like, find yourself with a craving for a hot brown or, like, I got to go cheer for the U.K. Wildcats, right? You know, like... Some of you might have that, but, you know, others not, right? Or, you know, speaking with a strong southern accent, probably not. You can cross that line, it's no big deal. But if you drive further, like, say, south and to the west, do that for a couple days, you eventually find yourself at the Mexican border. You're not going to cross that one by accident, you know? Like, there's going to be a checkpoint. You're going to have to have documentation. You're going to have to have a reason for going. You're going to especially want this because you want to come back someday, and you're going to need all these things for them to let you back home, okay? Crossing a state line is a minor deal. Crossing a, a uh, national boundary is a much, much bigger deal. And John is saying that these folks have crossed a national boundary. They've stepped outside of what the faith is, for their issue is with who Jesus Christ actually is. Our beliefs matter, you know? Jesus himself was real direct on this. He, he taught that, that our beliefs matter so much. He said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll know them. By their fruit, you'll know them. Jesus is clear that there are things that are in the family and there are things that are out of the family. And as Christians, it's, it's a tough message, you know? We sometimes we want to take like the easy things that Jesus said and, and focus only on those. But when he says these things, like he says in Matthew 7, he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you'll recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who's in heaven. We don't say this with arrogance. We say it with a tear in our eye. Because we want everybody, we want everybody to experience the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And this is why our mission, church, is so important. Jesus didn't teach that we're just here as one of a lot of great ways to come to know God and to go to heaven. No, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We're not not being arrogant. We're saying that God loved the world so much that he gave his son Jesus. The whole world has the chance to say yes And that means that as part of the family, we got a job to do. When we talk about about supporting this church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, our witness, we're talking life-changing stuff. We're, We're not playing games here, okay? We're not just here as a little social club so we can all come together and feel good about ourselves. No, we believe that these words, that the words of Jesus Christ are the words of life. 
And we believe that just as it's possible to be in the family, it's possible to be outside the family. And we don't want anybody outside of the family. So we're going to do our best to share the goodness of Jesus Christ, to serve in ministry, to, to give to missions that spread the gospel, to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ, whether it's in here or in traditional or in our children's or with our teens or at Salem or wherever it is, we want to be faithful because this is what God has called us to do. This is what God has called us to do. Verse 24, you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you'll remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And this fellowship, in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he's promised to us. Other translations, they use a word, abide. Abide in me, is what Jesus said to us. How are you doing with that? Our, God invites you into a relationship, a life-changing, life-giving relationship. So in a minute, I'm going to pray. And maybe for you, you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus. You can pray right along with me and, and give your life to him right here and now. There's no better way to join the family and say, Jesus, here I am. I want to do it right now. And, and second, maybe for you, you have, but you say, you know, honestly, the things of the world have been, they've been elevated in my life. And I've kind of lost touch with just how urgently important it is to follow Jesus. And I just want to give myself to him more and more and more. You can do that too as we pray. And then after service today, we'll have a, and during the song, we'll have prayer partners up here. If you want to come pray with them, they would love to pray with you. So God, we need you. Every hour, we need you. We confess that on my own, I can't pay the price for my sins. I've messed so many things up, Jesus, and, and I need your leadership. I need you to be the Lord of my life. I need you to be my Savior. I give myself to you, God. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you cleanse me of all that is not of you? Would you heal my heart, God? Lord, thank you that I can be your child, adopted into your family. And God, I pray for every member of this church, everybody who's here this morning, who's online with us, God, that you would draw us closer to yourself, that you would increase our hunger, that you would increase our passion, that you would increase our desire for you, Lord Jesus. Maybe for some of us, we realize that the relationship, it started off so good, but we've kind of fallen off. Bring us back. Bring us back in power, in love, and in your grace. God, we give ourselves to you. We pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.